Hey everybody, this is Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. Today we are starting the final chapter of 1 Corinthians, which is chapter 16. And it is the final bit of advice along with the closing of the letter sent to these churches making up the church of Corinth. And let's get started today and see how far we get as we finish up this amazing letter that Paul is writing to this early church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we're going to do verses 1 through 9 together. It says, Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you chose to deliver the gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. I am coming to visit you after I have been to Macedonia, for I am planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you can send me on my way to my next destination. This time I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while, if the Lord will let me. In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. All right, let's dig through this last chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians. And the verse 1 is a direct reference that the Corinthians had written to Paul and asked him specifically about collecting money for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, uh, <clears throat> this may not seem very important, but some of you may ask, you know, why were they so concerned about the believers in Jerusalem? Well, the believers in Jerusalem perhaps suffered more than any other Christians during this time because Jerusalem was the center hub for Judaism. And because the Jews in Judaism had rejected Christ as the Messiah and the Son of God, they fought very hard to squash out the, the movement of Christianity. And this was the most volatile place for Christians to live um, because the Jews were in direct conflict. They, they rejected Christ uh, as the Messiah and, and they definitely have rejected him as the Son of God. And anyone that becomes a believer was cast out of their family system and ostracized from the community due to the heavy pressures of the religious uh, leaders and the system in place uh, in that area. Now, the book of Hebrews, the entire book was written directly to Jewish people who had accepted Christ as Lord and Savior but they were being shunned by their families and their communities. And that was happen, happening mostly in Jerusalem. But that was also happening with Jewish families all across the, the known world at this time. And as a result, many of the Jewish believers uh, were renouncing their faith in order to be accepted back into their families and their communities. So that's where you get the whole book of Hebrews from. And that's mainly what it's about. Now, that pressure from families. Now, I, I don't know how many of you have ever dealt with this, but a lot of times families put a lot of pressure on children, a lot of pressure on one another, and this pressure and this ostracizing and this uh, basically shunning would have significantly affected the quality of life of anyone that confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. And there were some other reasons to consider as well as to why there were a lot of uh, needy people in Jerusalem. For example, there was a famine in Jerusalem mentioned in Acts 11. 
Uh, there was also a large number of orphans and widows in Jerusalem mentioned in Acts 6. And so you, there's just a lot of things going on, but mainly Christians in Jerusalem were heavily persecuted. Maybe not necessarily um, being put to death like in Rome, but they were heavily persecuted by their own by their own people because they were being shunned and ostracized and cut off from the community. Now, it is important to understand that the early church didn't just uh, take up money and give it to anyone, but the people that were being supported truly had to be in need in order to receive financial assistance from the apostles. Now, James chapter 1, verse 27 talks about how important it is to care for orphans and widows and how a Christian should take the responsibility seriously to... Uh, to make sure that these people are provided for. And Paul also commands that the New Testament churches, uh, that they would observe people and truly know whether or not that people are needy. And there's even writings in the New Testament where Paul says that if people refuse to work, then they should not eat because uh, if people are able to work, they should be working. And that's a responsible thing to do. And as a Christian, you are called to give not necessarily receive. Now, there are times in our life where we need to be humble and receive the gifts of of people and allow uh, blessings to be bestowed on people from God through their gifts to us. Like, we should be humble enough to accept that. But we should not expect those gifts. We should have the desire in our hearts to give as believers in Christ. So... Um, there's this understanding throughout the New Testament that people shouldn't just get handouts unless it is absolutely necessary and the people are unable to provide for themselves. And that's really important to remember, you know, it, and I think even being in ministry for 20 years now, um, it's really hard for people to grasp this concept that the church is not necessarily obligated to just give um because one person thinks that a need is there or because a family says that a need is there or someone has made bad decisions in their life. You know, the church is not necessarily obligated to give. Um, it, it is very important for the church to take responsibility in their charity and make sure that they're uh, familiar and observing people and make sure that they're worthy of being given to um, because there's true need there and not just because they expect it to be given. So um, so there, there's a responsibility for the church to be in touch with reality, to, to know who's, who they're truly, um, who's, who's in need, and to be aware of that. And apparently the people in Jerusalem were hurting pretty badly, which is why the, all the churches, and Paul talks about uh, in multiple epistles that we have in the New Testament, about the gift of, of the offering for the believers in Jerusalem because they were suffering so badly. So that's pretty important to know. Now, I think it's good for us to talk about the expectations for Christians to care for the needy, especially for um, needy brothers and sisters in Christ, because Paul gives guidance on how to take up this collection. And yes, there there's always been an expectation for Christians to be charitable. Like, you need to know that as a believer in Christ. There is an expectation from Christ. There's an expectation of all the Christians who've come before us to be charitable and to give to the needy and care for one another. And we should set that example in our lives to... Um, 
to the people of the world and to the believers who are younger than us who are coming behind us. There is an expectation for us to do that. We are called to sacrifice ourselves for the betterment of others, to, to help others who aren't as fortunate as we are, and really to make sure that the world sees the light of Christ in our lives. So we're all called to do that in many different ways. But it seems that financially is probably the easiest and most needed among the people of the world. And for the people in Jerusalem, you know, it's there wasn't really a whole lot that everyone else could do for these people in Jerusalem. But giving money was, was an easy thing to do. Now, it takes sacrifice to do that, but money is easily... Um, transported you know you can apply in many different ways and so it's not necessarily sending items or doing things like that money was just kind of an easy answer to help these people out and to give them some relief immediately and a lot of times money is is like that it's very easy to give money and i always encourage our people in our church to rather than just immediately just give money you know contemplate for a moment whether or not you can sit down with this person and give them your time. Eat a meal with them. Have a conversation with them. Invest in them longer than just giving them a few dollars. Because money is an easy way to help, and it's a quick way to help, but money also goes quickly. And so even though it's easy to do, the help that is offered um, dissipates very quickly. And so the time that you give to someone and the investment that you give to someone lasts a lot longer than money does. And I think that's very important to remember as well. Well, we're called to, to give in many different ways, but um, in, in this matter, Paul is calling them to give financially, and he gives advice on how to take up this offering. So let's talk about what type of offering this is. Now, we we all know the English language is complicated for many different reasons, and it's said to be one of the most difficult languages in the world to learn. And uh, we use, for example, we use one word that may mean many different things. And we would say something like, okay, we're going to take up an offering. And an offering may mean many different things. And because of that, we have to use adjectives coupled with this word or noun because offering is a noun so we have to use adjectives to describe it to help people better understand what it is but in the greek language the word that was uh given a lot of times it was the adjective and the noun and so so for like love you know they had four different words for love well, it's the same thing for offering or gift you know there were many different words that they used for this and I think that's important to know as the Greek language is being translated from the original writings in the New Testament to English, a lot of times we lose the meaning and we kind of lose what's being said. So um, that's really important. So for example, Paul talks about giving a lot in his epistles. I mean like financially giving. And he talks about offerings and, and gifts a lot. And he uses different words to describe giving, and koinonia is a Greek word for giving or offering that meant fellowship sharing. And Paul uses koinonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, when he's bragging about the Macedonians as they beg, the Macedonian church begged for the privilege to share in giving with the believers in Jerusalem. So the Christians in Macedonia 
wanted to give more and more and more to the believers in Jerusalem because they had kind of caught on to the idea that, hey, like this is the right thing to do. We want to do this. God is blessing us for doing this, and we should keep on. So they were super excited about it. Now, um, Paul also uses a Greek word, <coughs> excuse me, diakonia, which uh, means practical service or ministry giving. And this word is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, and in uh, verses 12 through 13, as he is also talking about giving to the believers in Jerusalem. So it's really important to see that he's using these different words for giving, um, even though he's talking about the same gift for the believers in Jerusalem, this money that is being given to them. Now, This is important because we need to have a decent understanding of the original Greek words and how they're translated because if not, a lot of times we're just stuck with things like an offering or a gift and we don't really understand exactly what the writer is saying. And in this passage that we're reading today, chapter 16, Paul uses this Greek word called logia which translates into an extra offering, all right? So now he's used three different words to kind of describe this offering in different passages, but in this one, he's using logia. And this extra offering was expected for the churches in Corinth to take this up regularly. Now, probably the reason why he is instructing them in this way and he uses this word is because you know he was ha- it wasn't like the church in Macedonia where the people were asking to give more and more there was a lot of difficulties going on in the church in Corinth and so they were probably resisting the idea of giving to the Christians and were probably saying well financial or money isn't necessarily spiritual so we don't have to do this but Paul is saying listen this offering is expected for you as a church to take up you should want to do this in fact you need to do this but it's important for us to understand that although the churches were expected to take up the offering so the the leaders of the church were expected to take the time to formal formally do this offering to give the congregation the ability to give. But it was not expected that everyone in the congregation had to give. Now, that's very important. So a lot of times people in churches do not like taking up special offerings and extra offerings because it puts a lot of pressure on you like, oh, should I give? Shouldn't I give? Blah, blah, blah. Like, what should I do? And it makes people feel uncomfortable and they don't like that. But this extra offering also was not at random. It wasn't like they just showed up on this random day of worship and said, oh, we didn't tell you guys this, but we're going to have this extra offering. No, this extra offering was supposed to be planned and done regularly. Every time they met together, there was supposed to be a time to take up this extra offering to give to the believers in Jerusalem. And it was expected that the churches take up this offering, but it was not demanded that everyone in the congregation gave. And so it was kind of like the attitude, if you're able to give, then give. But if you're not able to, don't worry about it. But the churches were expected to take the time to do it and give the opportunity to their uh, Christian congregations 
to help out the believers in Jerusalem. Now, another interesting thing to notice is that Paul instructs him to take this up on the first day of the week. And this probably is pretty evident that the believers in Corinth were meeting on Sunday instead of the Sabbath day. Okay, that Now, this is important because most of the early churches were meeting on Sunday because they wanted to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But it is interesting that the believers in Corinth are meeting on Sunday in honor and celebration of the resurrection of Christ, but many of them were trying to teach that there was no resurrection, which is what we just read last week and the week before in discussing chapter 15, as Paul is advocating strongly for believing in the resurrection and how basically there's no salvation, there's no eternal life, there is no reason to give your heart to Christ if there's no resurrection. And so I just thought that was pretty interesting to um, to mention. Now, regarding the offering, you know, it, it is a regular offering, and I think that's important. And Paul instructs them to do this regularly because people have a bad habit of procrastinating and putting important things off. And it seems that the people in the early church were kind of guilty of the same things that we are. Uh, this is why Paul encourages them to set um, set their their givings aside early on before uh, at the beginning of the week. And, and he does this because they're meeting on Sunday. It's the first day of the week. Um, go ahead and set your money aside. Have it prepared and ready to give as you go into worship. Uh, that way, uh, you're not trying to collect it all at once and you don't spend all that money that you're setting aside. And so there's a uh, there's an encouragement from Paul and kind of this idea of, hey, even in your finances, you as, as soon as you get your money, you should begin to set aside your money for things that you truly want to spend it on. You need to honor the Lord with it. If you want to give extra, then set it aside and give extra. Because we all know that if we're not careful, we can spend money very quickly. You know, I said it earlier. Giving money to help people out is one of the easiest ways that we can help people, but the money goes quickly. And even in our own lives, money goes quickly. So if we're not careful, we may get to this point where we spend our money, and then we don't have any available if we try to collect all this money at one time when Paul shows up for the believers in Jerusalem. So he's saying, collect this throughout time. Do this offering regularly. Set it aside before you get to church and have it prepared. And it wasn't intended to be done randomly, but it was always intended to be done orderly and regularly to be a part of their normal worship from week to week. And Paul didn't want it done whenever he showed up, mainly because he, he, wanted, he knows that if they prepare this and they set it aside um, at the beginning of each week and they do this for an amount of time, They'll probably give more money. It's not that people don't want to give. A lot of times it's just that we don't have money to give. And so if we're specifically setting money aside for something, more than likely we're going to be a little more mindful of it and, and dedicated to it. And, and Paul doesn't want to feel like he's strong-arming people or encouraging them to give beyond their means whenever he shows up. He wants them to give with willing hearts without them being manipulated or strong-armed by his presence in any way. So... Um, 
Paul also talks about the gift being sent by messengers. Uh, and so it's important to note that he wanted the Corinthians to choose their own representatives to deliver this financial gift to Jerusalem. And he probably desired this for a couple of reasons. First, he wanted the Corinthians to take ownership of their ministry and their offerings. That's very important for people to do. Uh, we need to take ownership over our own ministries. We, we shouldn't just suggest that other people do ministry. But if we feel a ministry needs to be done, we should always be willing to step in and say, Hey, how can I help do this or support this or make sure that this is carried through? And so that's important. He wanted them to take ownership and and support it themselves and with their own eyes to see uh, exactly firsthand. Because if people from Corinth have to take this gift to Jerusalem to give to the believers, they're going to see with their own eyes the suffering that the people in Jerusalem are going through. And that's important because if they return to the churches in Corinth and report that their gifts are justified and need to be continued, then that support and ministry and giving will continue on into the future. Now, the second thing is, is that Paul is, is extremely intelligent and very purposeful in removing himself from handling money so as to not be accused of anything. And this is really important. And this is why he said that if it was appropriate for him to go with the messengers, then he would allow the messengers to travel with him. And this is a really smart move and one that I really try to always practice because in my 20 years of ministry, I've known a couple of people who have fallen prey to um, allowing financial indiscretion to be a part of their life at some time. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, it has greatly impacted churches. I mean, it's caused a lot of heartache and pain in churches and... I don't want that to happen in my life or in the church that I'm a part of. And so a lot of times people will ask me, hey, will you put this in the offering box? Here, I want to give this. You do with this whatever you want. And, and I always tell people no. Like, I do not want to be responsible for your money. I don't want you to hand me money. Um, you know, whatever you do, you give it to the church. That way with a clear conscience i can always say i don't mess with money i don't handle money and no one can ever accuse me of doing anything with money that i shouldn't be doing i think that's a very wise move um as we're talking about offerings and money today you know if you really want to offend someone or, or make someone lose trust in you then miss mishandle their money um, one time, and, and you'll never be able to get that back. So that's one of the biggest ways that Satan will use to discourage Christians from trusting one another is through uh, indiscretion in finances. It's one of the biggest ways that Satan uses to discourage people from being a part of the church is because they they always accuse pastors of wanting money and talking about giving all the time and things like that. And I just don't want that to be a part of my life, my ministry, or my relationship with the Lord. And so I always refuse it. And it aggravates people sometimes that I don't help them out in that way. But I would rather offend someone by by not um, delivering their offering or something like that than I would by them ever thinking that I mishandled their money or took it uh, uh, in any wrong way. So that's just kind of where I stand on that. I think Paul is very wise. Okay, so let's move on. Let's look at verse 5 and we'll finish up in uh, the next few verses. 
It says, Paul begins winding this letter down with an expression of desire to come and visit the church in Corinth. Now, this is really important to know because uh, Paul, as he is writing them, he wants to visit, but he wants to visit after he travels to Macedonia so that he could come and spend a good amount of time with them. So the desire for Paul is to come and spend ample amount of time. And the people in Corinth needed some good quality time with a good, strong spiritual leader. I mean, Corinth was a mess. The churches were a mess. They were struggling with all kinds of stuff. And and Paul talked about spending the winter with them if the Lord would permit him to do so. And in that last statement, you know, as he wants to spend the winter, if the Lord would permit him to do it, you need to truly understand how important it is that Paul acknowledges the fact that if the Lord permits him, because you need to understand how regimented of a life that Paul probably lived as he traveled thousands of miles on three different continents, ministering to hundreds of churches, starting new churches, sending out teachers, discipling Timothy and and other leaders in churches, as he's writing letters, as he's going to Rome, as he's in prison. I mean, Paul was an amazing, uh, very driven individual, and God used those gifts to, to glorify himself and his kingdom. And Paul was very, his life was laid out. You know, he, had, he explained to them very heavily what his goal was. His goal was to stay in Ephesus for the moment because God had opened up some doors and great opportunities uh, for ministry, and he was wanting to take advantage of that. At the same time, he's facing conflict in Ephesus because the people there were opposing him. And Paul was used to conflict, and he didn't shy away from it. This man was busy, and he always had his life mapped out pretty well in advance because you can't be that successful and influence that many people if you're just winging it day by day. His life was very much mapped out. He had it planned. And at the same time, he always made room for God to change the course of his plans. And that is very important to remember and understand. I think it's very important for us as individuals to have enough forethought to plan and to make preparations for life and to know what it is that we're going to do from day to day and to have a plan and a goal and people that we're supposed to minister to because I believe that God leads us in these things and I believe that God helps us prepare and especially in prayer as we pray God brings things to mind and things that we should do and yet at the same time as as a church when we have staff meeting every Tuesday morning um we are planning out week-to-week operations. We're planning our services. We're talking about songs and sermons and scripture and and just reviewing things that we've done and trying to do things better the next time. And in the midst of this, we try, as we're planning, and sometimes like when we're doing a calendar, we plan a year in advance in our calendar. But at the same time, we always try to be open for the Lord to change and shape and mold the situation because we know if God is in control, It'll always be better. We plan the best that we can, but we know that God is a better planner than us. And so even at the last minute for something that we've had planned for a long time, if God wants to step in and move, then we allow him to do it. So 
I think that's very, very important. It's amazing to see Paul, uh, someone who's so regimented and so influential and important, he was still open to allowing God to shape and mold and maneuver his schedule and his life. And uh, that's important to know because Paul didn't get to visit Macedonia first. In fact, Paul ended up having to go to Corinth first because there was... um, a lot of sin and failings among these people that he had to deal with immediately. So even though he's laying out his plans in advance, uh, God actually does change his plans. He does go to Corinth first, and he doesn't get to spend as much time with them because of that. But there were some things that he had to deal with immediately with these people that uh, we're going to read later on in different passages. And um We'll talk about that. So, you know, I encourage you guys to to be like Paul. You know, it's important to have direction. It's important to have some idea of where you feel like God is leading you. But never be so concreted in your own plans that you're not willing to allow God to change and move you in time, situations, or circumstances. God knows all things, and He's able to bring all things to perfection. He has a plan and a purpose, and His will is perfect. And Paul might be the most influential Christian to ever walk the face of the earth. And that's important to note, that that Paul Paul is so influential. He might be the most influential Christian to ever walk the earth. But it is very much worth noting that even in his regimented life, his plans were always able to change through God's leading And you can't forget Paul's willingness to allow God to lead and change his life. And we have to have that same attitude in our life. So, um, this is a good place for us to stop this week. um, As we still have the last half of chapter 16. Next week we should finish up easily in the chapter and be done with 1 Corinthians. And I will let you know where we're moving on to from there. Alright, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day, for everything you bless us with. God, thank you for the opportunity to read your word, to pray, to seek your face, and God, to to see these amazing examples from people like Paul. And Lord, to even see the failure from early Christians in, in Corinth. Lord, thank you for them too, because we get to learn from their failures, because we also have failures in our life that we're trying to grow and move and work through. And so God... Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for not throwing us away and discarding us when we fail you. But Lord, help us to continue to grow and, and to move and work and lead in your life in our lives. Uh, lead people to you. We love you today. Thank you for everything. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in for another week. We uh, love you. We're praying for you. We hope to see you in person. But if not, you can always catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. Have a great week.